Good morning, Church of the Red Door. Uh, so good to be with you this morning. Thank you, Randy, for that. Uh, we are so excited to see you. I know we're starting to kind of, for some of you, it feels like the season's kind of winding down now. Many of you will leave uh, in April, and this is kind of our last maybe month together where you're actually in the desert, and yet we haven't been able to see you face-to-face. We hate it. We are working diligently to make sure that we can meet as soon as possible. But uh, the, again, as I have alluded to the last couple of weeks, there's some very encouraging news on the on the vaccine front, uh, on the just the de-escalating numbers of cases. So we're we're very excited about that. But I'm even more excited about our continuation through the Gospel of Luke. This uh, last week, I, I taped something uh, on our television called Jesus Game Changers. And I was fascinated to watch this story of two young, beautiful Iranian women who had been thrown into uh, Evan Prison in Tehran. And then they've actually written a book called Captive in Iran. And uh, I was fascinated to hear one of their stories, how they, uh, being in an Islamic country, being both Muslim women, had come to a recognition of Jesus as the Messiah and had really given their hearts to Jesus and then had suffered horribly in prison uh, in some uh, unbelievable ways, sleeping on cold concrete, uh, urine-soaked blankets. I mean, it was a ho- horrific story. Uh, and the reason they were put there was because they had, having found Jesus, gone back and began to give Bibles out in Tehran, and they estimate that they had given about 20,000 Bibles out before they were, before they were apprehended and put in this prison there, now actually living in the United States profound story. I mean, very moving, obviously, in our, sometimes we get down and discouraged and, oh Lord, where are you? And and I'm thinking about these women that were suffering great persecution because of their followership of Jesus, being Jesus apprentices. But what really struck me in one of the woman's stories was the way in which she came to Jesus that somebody had given her a little pamphlet. And that pamphlet had just contained the gospel of Luke, just the very thing that we're going through. Just this one simple narrative, synoptic gospel, based upon the life of Jesus, took a woman who lived in a, a Muslim country, who lived in a, under a fairly oppressive regi- regime, and gave her the kind of uh, input that she needed in just watching the story of Jesus unfold and what he said about reality and she gave her life to Jesus. I mean, I, 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 don't, I think sometimes, folks, that we, we come, especially if you've been around the Bible for a while, gone to church for you know, any number of years, you say, well, we've maybe heard some of these stories or maybe heard all of these stories. And yet, I think we sometimes miss the profound, profound power of the simplicity of the story of Jesus. And what he said, uh, literally what he said about himself, not just what other people said about him and all the speculation that's going on, the simplicity of going back to the source and the story of the unfolding of Jesus' life. And that's what we can, we'll continue with this morning. So again, I, I, I'll say this secondly this morning. I, I was really moved as I was preparing this, it just kind of hit me, you know, I kind of go verse by verse, but somehow this particular one hit me, and I really felt like the Lord spoke to me this week, and again, when I say that, I didn't hear an audible voice, just impressed upon me, maybe is a better way to say it, impressed upon my spirit that this was going to have a profound impact on many of you who might be watching this. 
to encourage you in ways that you were yet unaware. And sometimes that encouragement comes to the new believers. And I, and I pray it does encourage you. But I think there's going to be encouragement to some of you who've been walking faithfully with Jesus for much longer than I have, maybe 50, 60 years. Uh, and this morning, I think, is going to have a profound impact on you. I hope it does. That was what was in my heart. Are you ready to roll? Okay, here we go. We're gonna we're now shifting into Luke chapter five. We're gonna read the first eleven verses. A fascinating little story that many of you will have heard many times. But I'm gonna give you some of my observations. I'm gonna look into the fascination I have with the Apostle Peter, and I'm gonna give you some hopefully some great takeaways that I think again will encourage you in some very significant ways. Okay, so let me just read and then we'll go back and kind of unpack this. So Luke chapter 5, we'll start here in verse 1, we're going to go 1 through 11. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, you got to understand, lake of Gennesaret is also just the Sea of Galilee, sometimes the Sea of Tiberias, or it's used different terms, but we would know it maybe better as the Sea of Galilee, but it's the same thing. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Why? Because they had been fishing all night. It was over. You you know this situation. Five o'clock bell rings, you know, you just can't wait to get home. It's over. You want to get out of your work clothes. You want to put on your, you know, your little slippers and your, you know, you just want to, you want to relax. I mean, this was the end of a day. And not only, as you'll see, this was the end of a day, a very unsuccessful day. And then Jesus got into one of the boats, which happened to be Simon, which is the same thing, Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Okay, so get the picture. End of the day, you're trying, you know how you are. Uh, you've, do- you've done this. Maybe you've gone into a place of business and, and the folks are just about to lock the door and you walk in three minutes before closing time, either a restaurant or a retail place or something. You can see the people just going, oh no. Uh, sorry, sir, we're closed. Or, you know, you're ready to, you are ready to roll. You're counting down the minutes and then this guy comes. That's what's going on here. Now, obviously, they had seen some extraordinary things with Jesus. They were fascinated with him, but still, it was the end of a long, unsuccessful day. You got to get the picture here. And he began, sat down and began teaching the people from Simon's boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Okay, now stop for a second. I mean, what? We were fishing all night. We're professional fishermen. This, we know this lake forwards and backwards. We know every place that we've go. We've got our particular spots. We know when the fish are spawning and not. We know everything about this lake. Who are you? You know, you're a son of a carpenter from Nazareth. You don't know this area and you're not even a fisherman. I mean, it had to be going through their minds and they're tired. They're ready to go home. They're ready to get a little sleep. They're ready to wash up. I mean, they smell of brine. I mean, and then Jesus says, go out for another catch. And now, again, as I'm going to unpack this morning, I love Simon's response, Peter's response. He says, Simon answered and said, Master, now that's very, very important for us to see this morning. Master, we worked hard all night. We caught nothing. He was complaining a little bit, but also trying to unpack his situation. He said, but... I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they they enclosed a great quantity of fish. Now, some of you may have been with me to Israel. I've been there. We actually 
go out on these boats, we throw the nets out, and we pull some things in, and occasionally we might get a fish. But we've never, I've never seen anything really profound when we throw these nets out. Maybe it's just, obviously, it's a kind of a tourist-type thing that you do. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I know what it feels like to be on the Sea of Galilee, throw out these nets and pull them in, and, you know, I can, I can see that in my mind's eye. But they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets, and their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them, and they came and filled both, both, filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. And now, catch this. <laughs> Man, this is, I love this. I love this. When Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet. Can you, can you try to envision this moment? saying, go away from me, Lord, for, for I am a sinful man. For amazement, amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't freak out, don't fear here, Simon. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left, they left everything and they followed him. Now, there is, there is a lot to unpack here. But the first thing I, I want to, and we're going to go back and kind of pull this apart and look at it and say, okay, 21st century here, interesting story, fascinating, but is there something for us? Is there an encourage, are there encouraging nuggets of truth that could actually affect my life today, right here, today? in the Palm Springs area, if that's where you live or wherever you might be today, could there be something in this? And I would say yes. Number one, I think it's an absolutely perfect parallel to life. We go around working so hard, so diligently, and sometimes it comes to nothing. Absolute failure. I mean, our efforts, sometimes they produce great things. And I mean, obviously, hard work is going to lead to have a better chance of leading to a fulfilled uh, life in some ways, uh, a success, if you will, however you would qualify that. I mean, certainly that would, but sometimes we work so hard, and especially as it relates to the propagation of the gospel and the spiritual advance in our own lives, we work so diligently, and then sometimes it just, we have no success. We're fishing all night, and we have nothing. But now what happens and what we see here is this epistates, which is the Greek word for, he uses master here, which really just means commander, leader, or just the boss man, if you want to think of it that way. What Peter had recognized is, I've been working, I had no success. I've really been giving it my best, but, but the boss is here. Now, even though I may, and you could see it, you could almost feel it. Peter's like, nevertheless, he's like, Jesus, come on. I, I was, we've been working all night. We know this lake. I mean, we've, we're exhausted. We're, we've already cleaned our nets. We don't want to do this again. I, I can think of all the lines of reasoning. Think about your own life when maybe Jesus asked you to do something. Jesus, you don't understand, but you know it in your heart. It's like, look, Jesus, I mean, and you may even talk back, and it's fine. Can I just say there are times you can see it in the Psalms. It's okay to kind of, Lord, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to, you know, whatever it is that the Lord may ask you to do. Maybe it's the salvation of a marriage or 
you know, just absorbing some blows from someone that you just want to strike out at. I mean, just it, the following of Jesus is a cross to bear. It's difficult at times, and you're weary, and you just haven't seen much happen. And, and he may say, okay, again, let's do it again. I want, I want you to continue in this area. And you're just like, Lord. And I love that. But then it grabs him. And he says, but the boss is in town, and therefore, I don't care how weary it is, how exhausted Peter was, how he felt may, it may have just been an exercise in absolute futility. There was a willingness. Nevertheless, okay, all right, I can see Peter. All right, <laughs> you're the boss. Let's go. Now, the reaction to that, to me, is absolutely, absolutely priceless. Sometimes our, some of our most profound encounters with Jesus start in a very strange ways, small ways, little ways. They're, they're not fueled by extraordinary feelings and passion and, oh, I can't wait to do that. They're the simple, almost begrudgingly, sometimes we face it, oh, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to pray or I'm, I'm, I'm not going to react here or I'm just going to, I'm going to give what I feel like he's put on my heart or I'm willing to do this because I recognize him as the boss. But deep down, there's not, there's not that powerful emotion. And what I want to tell you is that sometimes, especially early in your walk, there are some powerful emotions that accompany obedience. And, it, and it's, it's not only easy, it's something you're desperate to do. But sometimes as you walk and you journey with Jesus for longer periods of time, there are just some things can become a little bit challenging and you just want to step off the boat a little bit. You want to walk back to the shore and say, look, I'm going home. I'm not fishing anymore here. I'm tired of this. This is exhausting. And you say, well, I'll still go to heaven and everything. Why, why do I have to push myself like this? And maybe it's not even the Lord asking me to do this. And then we justify it in so many ways. But deep down, you just realize that there's no real powerful emotional you know, impulse here. It just feels like, well, the boss is in town and I'll go ahead and do it. And I love that where it says, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to do as you say. And I love that about Peter. Because you know, you know he wasn't impassioned at this moment. I love that about Peter. I want to read for you a gal named April Model, and here's what she says about this mustard seed. I would call I'm kind of calling this weary, sometimes begrudgingly, just a, and yet a, 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 an aspirational model in your life to say, I'm gonna, I want to obey him. I just, I just don't feel it today, but I'm gonna obey him anyway. Listen to what she says. She says, when I wash my mind with the truth of mustard seed thinking, and we'll explain that in a minute, I immediately find my heart invigorated invigorated for the tasks at hand. A seemingly small act of kindness, saying a faith-filled prayer for someone or whatever faith-motivated act we take, no matter how small, can have an eternal and mountain-moving impact on another's life. Jesus' teaching regularly highlighted, now catch this, folks, for some of you, you think it, you're not, it's not a big act, it's just a small little thing, going to see someone, uh, 
who can't possibly repay you. So whatever the act of faith is, sharing your faith, and he said, that it just went right over their heads. They didn't hear a word I said, but you felt an impulse of faith to do it, and it seemed so small. But these small acts of great value from the widow's might to the woman washing his feet, small gifts in the gospel pages, catch this, are highlighted as having significant and eternal value. Now, again, the narrative in scripture is, yeah, sometimes there's amazing acts. We read, you know, Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, and some of these extraordinary acts of faith. You know, Moses willing to go into Egypt and confront the Pharaoh, and and the parting of the sea, and Abraham willing to sacrifice his son, and all these different kinds of things. And we say, those are massive, big things. But the Bible, and I want you to try to really internalize this. The Bible also highlights, and I love what April says here, highlights very significant moments that seem so uh, ordinary, small, not important. I'm going to take you to a few of those. Matthew chapter 12, let's read 41 through 44 here. The widow's might, some of you know it well. Uh, right here in my office, I have a um, some of these little coins that were are 2,000 years old that would have been traded during the time of Jesus that I purchased in Israel years ago, and I, I cherish them. I may have shown those to some of you before. The, the widow's might. Verse 41, he, he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting, putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large amounts, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which amount to about a cent. I don't even reach down for dimes anymore. I mean, just, I mean, a pit, a cent, one cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Now he said, this is a great act of faith. And it was in context. But in the great litany of great acts where people, you know, huss being burned at the stake, you know, I mean, you see all kinds of things. Just what I alluded to a minute ago, these precious Iranian women willing to distribute Bibles in a place that they knew that they would be at some point subject to interrogation and potentially torture and prison. And they did it anyway. Those are heroic, unbelievable acts of faith. This doesn't seem to quite measure up to that, but it's just a few, it's a cent. She puts it in. And yet we're still talking about her. I wonder, I wonder, think about this. I wonder how many people have been motivated to obey Jesus in giving when he puts it on their heart. I wonder how many of those people have been motivated to do that out of this story. Could she have fathomed, could she have fathomed that that, she just went in. She put her sin in. She didn't know Jesus was watching. I don't even know who Jesus was at this point. She puts a cent in and she walks out. I mean, what? It's, it, it, to her, in her world, it must have seemed like such a mundane act, such a, you know, well, what else am I going to do? I'm, I'm poor anyway. I'll throw this in and, you know, maybe, maybe things will turn for me. And we're still talking about her 2,000 years later. Potentially millions of people have been impacted by her story. Could she have imagined this tiny 
may be weary. Who knows how, what was going through her mind when she did that? Could she have fathomed the fallout of her simple act of faith? Mark chapter 4 actually tells the story of, again, the mustard seed, Jesus' teaching. Jesus said, how shall we picture, verse 30, the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we present it? Well, it's like a mustard seed, which men sow upon the soil, and though it is smaller than all the seeds on the soil, about one to two millimeters. Now, you got to realize a mustard seed is just a tiny, I mean, one to two millimeters, this seed. And yet, when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air again can come, what? Nest under its shade. Uh, again, a picture back to the prophet Ezekiel when he was having this vision of this tree growing up and birds from all different kinds of birds coming in and nesting in the branches. And Jesus is drawing on that and it sets it, it starts so small. It's like a mustard seed. See, the mustard seed, when uh, although it starts as just a one or two millimeters in size, when it's planted and it has the right conditions, penetrates the soil, like Jesus said, it goes into the soil and dies and it bears much fruit. It does. This brush that comes from the mustard seed can be 20, 30 feet high and wide out of a single one or two millimeter seed. It can start so small. And the implications can be so profound. And we may or may not see the results. I wonder... Well, she sees it now, I believe, that the widow woman now being in the presence of God, I wonder what kind of a view she has. Does she have a portal she can look down and see the impact of her story? I don't know how all that works completely. I might, I might posit that, yes, that's maybe the case. Just a scent. Nobody even sees. Jesus saw. Jesus saw. How about Mark chapter 14, verse 3 through 9? This woman who does a strange things, heavily criticized, and but watch what happens here. Verse three, Mark fourteen three. While Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and she poured it over his head. First of all, strange act. They didn't understand what was going on. In fact, some were, the Bible in verse 4 says, indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She's done a good deed to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do them good. But you do not always have me. Now catch this. This is important. Listen to what Jesus says here. She has done what she could. I love that. Well, you know, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not a pastor. I haven't been to seminary. I don't have that much money to give. I don't have much time to give. I... She did what she could. Jesus made a specific note. She did what she could. Some have the capacity to do unbelievable things. Who knows? We might have somebody step in one day at Church of the Red Door and our people in this valley could write a check and write for the entire building project. Just write it and we'd have a church. I mean, we'd, we'd start building the second we close on this, God willing, and we'd have a church. 
but probably not going to happen that way, but who knows? But there's, it's also significant when it's tiny. Big is great. Tiny's great. She did what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached, now catch this, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Again, strange things she did. She was obviously motivated by the Holy Spirit. Whether she was fully aware of that or not, it may just have been an act of generosity of spirit and she believed into Jesus as the Messiah. So who knows what the motivation was? She clearly saw something in Jesus that she wanted. Did she fully under the ramification, fully understand the ramifications he was going to go to the cross and atone and make everything right? I don't think she possibly could have understood that. She did what she could. Now, what's strange to me about this story is it seems so disproportionate. Okay, that's a fantastic thing. I've known many people that have, in a, in a similar analogous sense, broken a costly vial and poured it out for Jesus. And, you know, a lot of people don't even know about it. But somehow Jesus pulls this out, this moment of illustration, and says they're going to be talking about what she just did around the whole world. Now, they couldn't have even understood that, really. I mean, the prophets had seen it, but many of the disciples, I mean, we just want the Jews to understand that we, we Jews, finally have our Messiah. I don't know that they really were comprehending Jesus saying, this, oh, this is going to be a global thing that's going to happen. The prophets saw it was going to be the nations, the goyim, if you will. The nations are going to be swept up into this. Why? Because I'm the creator of the world, not just uh, the king of the Jews. I'm the creator of all things. I am the master of everything, and they will see it. And he makes this declaration. And obviously, here we are, 2,000 years later, halfway around the world, in a very wealthy place that they could have never conceived, this Palm Springs and celebrity and money and everything else. And we're sitting here still talking about a woman who did one small act, a mustard seed act of faith. I think that's important. This does get me fired up. I think about people in my own life, little mustard seed acts of faith toward me that had such a profound impact on me, they will never know. They couldn't know. Some that I've never met. I wonder if they did it with great power and, oh, I'm so excited to do this. Or maybe they got up and just thought, you know, kind of tired today, not fully, uh, nevertheless, he's the boss of me. He's the master of everything. He's telling me to, who knows, write a third book, give some money away that get, uh, maybe Im impacted a ministry that wrote something that I read that really impacted me that now is impacting you. Who knows what the downline, the fallout is, but it was maybe it was something huge, but maybe, and most probably, it was just a willingness to say, I've been fishing all night, but okay, I'll go back in the boat. I'll go back in the boat. So I'm going to start winding this down, but I want to look at a few things here that I think are significant. I'm going to get back to our narrative, Peter's narrative. Peter and the boys, right? <laughs> Not just at the sons of Zebedee, you know, James and John, and then the others and the guys he's fishing with. 
I want to go back and see they gave what they had. And for Peter, it was his boat. All right, let's go back out. All right, you're the boss. I've already understood. I believe in you. You're the boss. There's some things that amaze me about Peter, and I just want to look at those. Number one, he's generous with his stuff. I mean, he okay, you want to use the boat? Let's go. Uh, who knows what motivated him? Maybe he wanted to be popular. Maybe he wanted to sit out there and go, this is that guy you've been hearing about. He's in my boat. You know, who knows? You know, but he still was tired and he was willing. He was willing to share his boat. I think that's pretty cool. Number two, he verbalized. He verbalized that Jesus was the boss. Have you ever done that? Let me just ask you for a second. Have you? Maybe you never have. And you want to do that. I mean, there's something powerful about actually saying it. Jesus, you are the boss. I recognize you as the boss. You need to say that. Jesus said, if if you will confess me before men. That didn't just mean uh, Jesus existed. It doesn't mean, no, if you will confess me, meaning if you will say about me what I say about myself and say you're with me, that's what that really entails, then I will confess you before my Father in heaven one day. Have you ever verbalized? Are you someone who's open? I, I'm very private about my faith, you might say. That's just not what Jesus said. He said, you know, you put your light up on a, you don't put it under a bushel, you let people know. Be open, be out there, out of the closet. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm an apprentice of Jesus. He's the boss. He's the boss of me. Peter did that. I think that's insightful as we understand and we will watch Peter through his failures, through all of his triumphs and tragedies, but he was inspired by the fact that Jesus was the master of everything. And he said it and he then acted on it. He was also willing to share his discouragement with Jesus. Jesus, we've been fishing all night. You know, that's prayer. Don't be afraid. Friends, look, prayer is not just praying for somebody who's sick. Of course, it involves that. But prayer is, Lord, I'm just tired. I'm, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to get up. I don't want to do that. I'm, it, it, there's so much in my life that I... I feel that, and I am unafraid to go ahead and express, Lord, I'm tired. I don't want to do that on all these kinds of things. Because then I can have a dialogue. Jesus can encourage me. He can. He knows what's in my heart anyway. It's not like I'm you know, telling him something that he doesn't know. But as I verbalize it, he's able to speak to me, to minister to me through the Holy Spirit. Again, don't think that prayer has to be just this artificial face that you present before God and then... Peter was willing to say, Lord, we've been out all night. We're exhausted. We fished all night. We didn't catch anything. But, okay, all right. You know, what else am I going to do? I believe you're the king, the master, the commander, the leader, the boss. In spite of his discouragement, in spite of it, he was willing. Again, as I said earlier, There's a couple of things you see the progression in Peter. First of all, he was startled and amazed at this catch. I cannot imagine what was going through not only Peter, but his posse. I cannot imagine what was going through their minds. They had fishing all night, and here's a carpenter's son. Go out again, throw him out here. Two filled boats. And what was his reaction? He saw himself as he was. He fell down. He recognized that he was incredibly vulnerable and that he was a sinful man. We see this similarly in Isaiah chapter 6. 
Isaiah comes into the presence of the Lord and immediately he falls down and said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I, I live among a people of unclean lips. He Look, when you get in the presence of God, there won't be any shaking your fist. There will be an immediate recognition of your state versus his state. Peter was able to see that. You know, I sometimes I think about this. Uh, I occasionally will have a dream, and maybe you have these too. And I am an incredibly vulnerable situation. So maybe I'm de- maybe I'm going in for a job interview or something, and uh, I'm going up and I'm going up into a tall building and uh, maybe the 34th floor. And I push, you know, okay, 34th floor, and I get out and I walk out, and there's the secretary, you know, things there and everything in the office, and maybe a few of the people that work for the company. And I come out, and all of a sudden, I didn't notice until then, I look down, and I'm wearing pajamas with, you know, fire trucks on them and, you know, ducks. And they have little feety pajamas, you know, so you don't slip when you're a kid. And I got a bag of Cheetos, and I got Cheetos here. I hadn't brushed my teeth. My hair's going everywhere, you know, my, you know. And, and I look around, and I'm here for my interview, you know, or something like that. There's this, this, this moment of... I am so vulnerable, I cannot believe, you know, we, we've all kind of had those dreams and I have them maybe more than some, maybe that means I'm vain, I don't know, but I just find myself and I'm just embarrassed and I look around and that's exactly what Peter felt. He recognized that he had pushed the button, got off, and here's the master of everything and he's a sinful man. Now he knew or was beginning to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He had seen him heal his own mother-in-law. We saw that in chapter 4. But now a more overwhelming, powerful response. This is the master of everything. He even can call the fish. The fish, as one uh, commentator said, the fish were preaching the gospel. Jesus is the master of everything. By jumping into their nets, Even the fish were preaching the gospel. Peter doesn't know what to do except for one thing. Fall to his knees. I'm a sinner. You know, just exactly what I would do in my fire truck and duck pajamas. You know, I'd fall to my knees. I can't believe this has happened. Uh, Give me another Cheeto. I mean, you know, I mean, this is, this is the position he was in. He was so overwhelmed. And yet... His response, I think, was worship. And then, how do we know? Because then the Bible says clearly there in verse 11 that they left everything, left everything and followed him. Have you had one of those moments? Have you had one of those moments? I want to close here. I was was going to look at a few other things. You know, there were others whose reaction was different. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time just based on where we are. Um, the rich young ruler is an example. Does everybody respond to that, to Jesus in those ways where there's a recognition of who he is and then they, there's a step of obedience and then they move into a place of amazement? You know, one of the things that you see is then that they moved into amazement and then they worship and then they recognize their own plight. No, very often something along that chain of events is stopped. And that's exactly what happened with the rich young ruler. Jesus had given him this opportunity, come and follow me. And rather than uh, entering a life where he would be continuously amazed and energized and have eternal purpose and find his destiny, 
uh, there was a block there. And in this case, he was a young guy who had all kinds of power, had a lot of influence and was wealthy. And Jesus asked him to step away from that and come and follow him. And that was severed at that moment. So there were some that had the same kind of come and follow me picture. And for whatever reason, there was blockage there. They never got to the amazement part. They never got to the recognition of their own plight. They never really got to a place of worship because there was a lack of faith to take the next step, as small as it may be. A couple of mites thrown in the treasury, maybe a, just a vial of perfume. And I know it was costly, don't get me wrong, but I mean, it was just perfume to pour it over his head, not even maybe recognizing that she was anointing him for burial. And again, we still talk about it. Yeah, it was a big step for the wealthy young ruler. It would have been a seemingly from our perspective, he had a lot to lose, you know? Why is it difficult for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom? As Jesus would then later say about the, wealth, the rich young ruler, because there's more to lose from his perspective. He's more settled in the world. It's more costly. When you've got nothing, it's easy. Good news, great, I got nothing to lose. Maybe that was the position of Peter and his guys. We're just fishermen. Let's go with this. Maybe so. But still, there is an act of obedience that we must all take. And it's not one single act. It is a lifetime commitment to being willing, as weary as you may be, as you can't see how this will possibly work out, you just, you just do it. So what are my last thing? What are my three big takeaways from this episode we see here at the Sea of Galilee? Well, number one, obedience will lead to a life of amazement. Had Peter just continued his argument? Look, I said earlier, it's fine to disclose your heart because to God because he already knows it. Lord, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. I'm <laughs> Nevertheless, it always has to be coupled with the follower of Jesus. Nevertheless, I will do it because you are the master of everything. Sometimes that gets stopped and we forget the second part of that. I'm just tired, Lord, I don't want to do it, and then we don't do it. But obedience, in my experience, always leads to amazement. At some point, it may not happen immediately, it may not be as quicker result is what we see with Peter. Go out, throw your nets out. All right, here we go again. Oh my gosh, and there's a haul right there, you know, filling two boats filled with fish. Maybe you don't see it as immediately, but I'm telling you there will be a payoff. I've seen it over and over and over and over in my own life. Obedience leads to an amazing life. Who doesn't want to be amazed we search for amazement through entertainment, through drugs, through sex, through every possible thing, materialism and everything. We just, we're always looking to be amazed, to be moved, to, to be moved out of boredom and the, just the normal routine of life. We want to be amazed. Obedience to Jesus will lead to amazing life. So what we can get is no amazement. Where does amazement lead? It leads to worship. So obedience leads to amazement with Jesus. We see him as he is. We see the supernatural unfold before our eyes. We see the miraculous nature of the creator of the universe. That then leads to worship. <clears throat> no obedience, no amaz amazement. And no amazement, no worship. Some of you may say, well, 
you know, I'm not that great of a worshiper. I'm not into it. I can't wait till songs are over. I, it doesn't move me when I worship. I'm not a person who thinks about worship. I'm just talking about music. I'm just talking about a lifestyle of worship. You come late, you leave early. You don't. The, the, the worship of your life is just not there. Can I tell you, you're not amazed enough with Jesus. You haven't seen yourself in the proper light. Peter was able to do that, but it was all predicated on one thing, a mustard seed step of faith. As weary and begrudgingly as it may have been accomplished, it was still a step. Why? I believe you're the master of everything. What is it in your life today? I don't know what it might be. The Lord may be pinpointing something right now in your own heart. Take that step. Go, just take that step. It will lead to amazement, which will lead to worship. And worship will lead back to more obedience. More obedience will lead to more amazement. Amazement will lead to more worship. Worship will lead back to more obedience. It's this beautiful, beautiful cyclicality of the kingdom where you just, you're growing in your faith and you continue to be more fruitful for the kingdom. Obedience simply leads to greater works. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, you know, if you've believed in me and you've seen the works that I've done, even greater works are ahead of you. I mentioned to the, this last few weeks, greater works are ahead of you. You have to believe it. And it starts in the small things. It doesn't start in some big, wonderful, massive thing that you can get all pumped up about. It may start with a, some, something as simple as repairing a relationship. Spending some time with somebody that can't possibly give anything back to you. So it's not a quid pro quo. Just acting on something that you felt that you needed to do, just do it. It will lead to amazement, which will lead to worship. And you, as that cycle begins to happen, you will move in and fulfill exactly what Jesus said. You'll move into greater works than even Jesus himself did. That was the promise Jesus had there in John 14, verse 12. So are you weary today? Do you feel weak spiritually? Have there been some things that were seemingly kind of unimportant in your mind, but you felt like the Lord called you to do it? Maybe an act of faith or obedience or just an act of loyalty to the king, the, the master, the boss of everything. I want to encourage you today, and I think it's the Lord through, through this mouth, as imperfect as this mouth is. I, like Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. But he's taking that tongue... And I would believe that the Lord wants to encourage you today. Keep taking, as weary as you may be, I see. I see those small things that you're doing. Nobody else sees it, but I see it. And there will come a payoff. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this last. Mustard seed acts matter. They matter in a profound way. I want to close simply with this, you know, uh, this whole this whole idea about Church of the Red Door, the very origins of this very community. It seemed like such a, you know, that's a big thing, plant a church and all this kind of thing. It was one of those things, and I've, and I've expressed this to you before, it was one of those things that, of course, I'm excited to see what God wants to do, but would it have been my choice? Did I do it begrudgingly? Was I in some ways weary? Did I have other thoughts and different things like that in this building? And how are we going to get this thing done? And by the time it gets done, I'm, I'm going to be an old man and I'll be out and, you know, and it's, it's for people after me. I don't know what the downline 
of getting this land and building this building. You know how difficult that to, is to do in California? Some, some are just saying, hey, let's exit California. God's done with California. There's What good thing can come out of California? And there's this max, mass exodus. People going to Texas and Idaho and Montana. Tennessee, I heard the other day, there's just this mass exodus out of California. And yeah, there's been a lot of mistakes. And then the Lord says, no, I want, not only do I not want you to leave, I want you to really plant here and then build something that you'll never see the downline. You may be, this may be 20, 30, 40 years down the road, there's going to be a purpose for being at this spot at this time. And I, and I think about that. And when I see this kind of mustard seed stuff, I go, all right, Lord, you're the master of everything. Do I have to understand everything? Do I have to fully embrace it? Do I have to? It doesn't matter what I think. Obedience will lead to amazement. And amazement will lead to me to lead to a recognition of how unworthy I have been in my life and yet how worthy he is. And I apply worth to him, and that's what worship means. Applying worth to something. So again, in closing, what is it this morning? that the Lord has touched in your heart. Just takes a mustard seed. Just, even if you're tired, do it. Even if you just feel like, oh, I've been fishing all night, I've tried this over and over, it doesn't seem very successful. The Lord's, if he's still telling you to do it, hang in there. There will be a harvest if we don't grow weary. Start small. Doesn't have to start big. So anyway, uh, God bless you. Let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for my precious community. I, these people I get to you know, do life with and I hate not being able to, this is only just a few of them that I even get to see face to face and with rarity, even that. And uh, I cannot wait till we regather. Lord, we're gonna worship you. When we get back together again, it is gonna be a celebratory worship. We have gotten through this pandemic. Lord, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We believe with all of our hearts that you have such profound plans for us as a community. But in down to the individual, you have such specific plans. Lord, what is it in each one of our hearts that you're saying, just hang in there. Just keep, I know you're weary of this. Just hang in there. Keep doing it. Go back out. Lord, I'm tired. Go back out. Take your boat back out. Throw your nets out. Because there will come a day when I'm going to fill it with fish. It's going to lead to your amazement. The world's going to see it. And they're going to worship me, Jesus. They're going to worship me because of your act of mustard seed faith. Lord, just make this happen, Lord, in our lives. We love you. Amen. Hey, we love you, Church of the Red Door. Have a wonderful, glorious week. Uh, listen into the living room on Wednesday with Pastor Paul. And uh, I can't wait to see you.